0: Welcome back to the Ballistic Strength Podcast. On this episode, I am pleased to welcome to the show somewhat of a kettlebell mogul in the North American kettlebell landscape. Non-European kettlebell enthusiasts such as myself know Steve Cotter as the founder of the International Kettlebell and Fitness Federation, the IKFF, an organization that promotes the practice of kettlebell training as a means to express its greater focus of integrated mind-body development. The IKFF is a transcontinental community of unique but unified individuals whose collective distinctiveness resonates through Steve, a man passionate about finding balance in both training and life. In this episode, we ask questions like, is there confusion in the world of fitness? Does soccer mom or desk jockey dad really need Olympic weightlifting or gymnastics to be healthy? Is social media making the sport of fitness out to be more than it is? Are we inventing new sports just because we lost our edge or because there's always someone better? Has fitness or your own physical prowess become the centerpiece of your existence? And if so, why? And if so, how will you define who you are when you lose your ability to demonstrate this physicality? Gym owners are told repeatedly the importance of creating a culture because it's the culture and sense of community or belonging to something special or unique that fences in clients and really makes a difference. But where does community end and cult elitism begin? The obvious elephant in the room is CrossFit. Their media department does a great job of filtering content and interviews to highlight the community aspect of CrossFit, where in my own experience, owners only like you if you love CrossFit. And this is especially true if you tell them you own a gym that's not a CrossFit. I personally have always experienced a sense of clique mentality from AMRAppers, and clients have told me they feel they are treated like the overweight, asthmatic little sibling in the CrossFit family dynamic. One of the problems I have with the brand is that they have monopolized fitness outside the realm of the big box gym, despite being comparatively late to the party when it comes to multilateral development. If the program is supposed to be a generic general physical preparedness or GPP program, Steve points out that ancient practices such as Qigong are practiced for health maintenance, healing, and increasing vitality. Add to this basic calisthenics or old school lifting and you have yourself a pretty well rounded and hard to top GPP program. On the other hand, if the program is meant more for forging elite fitness, then exactly what task are we attempting to be fitter at? Fitness is the ability to do a task. In sports we call those tasks skills. Research and experience has shown that to develop specific skills, you must train those skills specifically to elicit the greatest improvements, and this is true of all sports including lifting sports such as Oli, powerlifting, and even Gervoy. The stronger athlete is often the better athlete, but only if it complements their sport skills such as increasing leg and hip strength in an offensive lineman, but athletes who depend on lateral cutting and pivoting such as wide receivers or football wingers and strikers, will not likely benefit from only lifts and muscle-ups. If, however, we're talking about work capacity, then this is a physiological quality independent of the training modality, whether it's sprinting or lifting, dribbling or jumping, skipping or sparring, and it's not proprietary to the benefits of CrossFit. In fact, if recent history has taught us anything, it's that former collegiate athletes with only 6 to 12 months of CrossFit classes under their belt have consistently made the most impressive rookie debuts at the CrossFit Games because they generally have the genetic attributes as well as training background to carry over to a more predictable sport where a straight bar clean will always be the only clean that matters, the rings will always be parallel to each other, and your target is never a moving one. It's not like they have an opponent's play and movements to read and react to, nor do they have to worry about contact or collisions as a peripheral obstacle to turning in a great performance, much like basketball or football. The primary adversary in lifting and fitness is gravity and how you manipulate your body to overcome it, which makes it not surprising how athletes who already possess adequate body awareness take so well to it. But gravity, as we all know, is a constant and it will always pull you in only one direction so it's really not much of an obstacle from a sport perspective. If physical culture has taught us anything it's that your greatest obstacle is self-doubt not gravity and it is in the space between this self-doubt and self-assuredness that the truly great athletes are teased out. Make no mistake Steve has been there and he has done that and though he may be the face of a fledgling but rapidly evolving industry in kettlebells he is very much resistant to branding himself as part of a niche market one way or another. As Steve says, it's about who can move well and who can teach you how to move well that matters. And if you have the knowledge and the discipline to do the reps and the self-assuredness and peace of mind to handle taking it to the next level, then you may just find yourself in the 1% rubbing shoulders with Denisov and Anasenko. This is my interview with Steve Cotter. First of all, Steve, I just want to really thank you so much for agreeing to do this interview with me. I'm sure that my listeners are going to be really stoked to hear from you and hear what you have to say. Um, So, uh, yeah, just uh, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you very much, Solomon.
0: Now, you started off uh, with martial arts, did you not? Like, in your athletic career?
1: Yes, that was my my first training. Um, I was 12 years old, so... 1982. I uh, started in in Chinese martial arts. Uh,
0: what discipline exactly? Uh,
1: the primary discipline is an art called Quan. It means mind form boxing. Uh, it's would be classified as internal martial arts. Uh, I, as a fighting a fighting system as well as a health system.
0: Okay, okay, and it, I imagine that's greatly influenced. Um, your position now with uh, with uh, strength education and and what you're doing now with your with your current organization, the IKFF. You're very much about you know mind body spirit. Uh,
1: very yeah, very very much so. Very much shaped my uh, holistic viewpoint in terms of as, as you uh, put it, mind body spirit.
0: That's great. That's great. What exactly drew you into martial arts? Did uh, you know was it your father that
1: got you into it? Or did you just you know, did you, was it completely of your own volition? Uh, it was my, my two oldest brothers um, had been training martial arts. And uh, it just, the decision was made that it would have been a good idea for me to uh, to become involved. Um, I actually came out to California when I was 12 years old from the East Coast. And so literally the, the day after I moved here is when I started my martial art training. Um, so it turned out to be a good decision because it, as a result, I was able to develop a career and my lifestyle around, uh, you know, physical culture and, and movement practice. Mm -hmm. As I recall, you did, you did very well. You competed for the national team, did you not? Um, I competed for two years for the USA, uh, team in 1995 and
0: 1996. And do you still practice,
1: Steve? I practice breathing and and movement. Um, I haven't practiced fighting really in a long time, um, so I, I would say I don't I don't have any regular practice. Um, but really, I on one hand I do because I've made the art my my own, and so in that re- in that respect, principles and and concepts is really. I just use different ways of practicing those things, not necessarily using the traditional martial arts, but just applied into my movement.
0: You don't necessarily do the the hand to hand combat or or Um,
1: or what. No, not not very often. You know, when I can, on occasion, I'll I'll do some you know some jujitsu practice and Mm -hmm. um, you know if I have a chance. But it's just not. uh, I I don't really see myself as a. uh, I'll, I'll always be a martial artist, but I'm not really an active. Practicing martial artists, just because um, my martial arts different now. It's it's really has to do with uh, the teaching and the, using more of the kettlebells uh, rather than traditional uh, Asian martial arts.
0: And that's something that's really interested me. And I'll pose a question to you. I mean, we've got Sean Mosen from Agatsu, who is a former martial, martial artist, Misty Shear of the Canadian Kettlebell Alliance. She um, I guess, specializes in jiu-jitsu. Uh, of course, there's Steve Maxwell and Scott Sonnen. Uh, there are just a few of the names in modern kettlebell culture that have roots in martial arts. Why is, it, is this such a seemingly common trend amongst fighters to gravitate towards kettlebells? Is it, is it more the physical aspect of kettlebells, or is there much more like mental and psychological aspect
1: or, or like uh, common ground? I would say the, the obvious factor is that martial artists are going to be early adopters, uh, in the sense that um, you're speaking already the same language, so there's there's no need to convince a martial artist of the significance of say using the entire body to generate power. Um, mm-hmm. It's a much much more harder concept to uh, sell. Say someone that has a bodybuilding background or a powerlifting background. Uh, not that not that I think powerlifting and bodybuilding are the same because they're not, but um, you know the idea of moving from something like uh, bench press and curls to you know, snatches with the kettlebell—it's it's very different. Whereas for a martial artist, it's not so different because you're already the stance, you're already utilizing uh, your body in a in a more uh, fluid and you know uh, flowing meth- method. So that's probably the obvious reason why why there's a relationship is because. Martial artists are going to get it right away and they're going to see that in most cases it's superior to whatever their conditioning methods were prior to finding kettlebells. And that's really what it comes down to, the, the bang for the buck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you don't necessarily have to do, you know, a few hundred push push-ups and horse dance for a few hours. You can actually train the body even more effectively in, in less time and more dynamically so that that's probably the reason i think why why martial just gravitate towards that
0: i also find that um, other modalities of training don't don't really have the same uh... Um, attention to to balance that say kettlebells do and i think maybe that also has some appeal to to martial artists
1: yeah i mean we, we can look at it from a lot of different perspective that's definitely a case um, and. And there's probably a lot of discussions about, you know, what is it about kettlebells that makes it complementary or, or what's different about it. And, and it, it can be difficult to quantify from a uh, physiological or biological or biomechanic point of view. But um, the way that I would describe it is that uh, kettlebell training compared to most other popular training modalities, especially with regards to resistance training, is, uh, Kettlebells is a lot more focused on uh, movement patterns uh, in, in a three-dimensional, uh, three-dimensional perspective, and it's also much more bringing the body into uh, external rotation and adduction, whereas um, more common methods are, are very much uh, internal rotation, uh, or, or I should say. Uh, external rotation and abduction. Most most systems are a lot of internal rotation and adduction. So it's a lot uh, towards the midline, very uh, frontal and sagittal dominant. Uh, kettlebells tends to have a lot more extensive extension work. Um, so there's different movement patterns that affects the, the posture. So you, you said balance, that's a component of it because it all has to do with our body positioning, how we're uh, maintaining center of mass over base of support. There's nothing unique about kettlebells. It's just movement principle. But the kettlebell now allows us to experience more planes of motion than what we're going to get in, you know, strictly by doing barbell lifting or or pull-ups or, you know, uh, very frontally oriented movements. Do you
0: find that club bells or mace swinging also fulfills maybe uh, one component that would be of interest to martial artists that maybe you can't get necessarily from kettlebells?
1: Yeah, uh, of course, of course. And it, it would be like the differences and differences in martial arts if you were to analyze strengths and weaknesses and mm-hmm. unique uh, contributions. So, um, all, all training is, is useful. And yeah. so, it's really a matter of where someone wants to excel what their art form is, so to speak, what are their specialty. Um, you know, it's one thing to be able to work with a lot of different tools, and it's another thing to be truly an expert or to have a depth of understanding in a lot of different tools. And it's usually not synonymous. Usually you have to tend to focus on less things, the, the higher level you're going to become. Or you can just have general working knowledge of many things, but you're not going to be an expert in, in probably many things. So
0: no.
1: Um, that, that's how I think, you know, the interaction of mace and club bells and Indian clubs and kettlebells, and uh, they're all extensions of the hand. And so it is complementary with martial arts. And because it, again, it's all extension of the hand. <laughs> it's like a weapon. It's a tool. It's a weapon. That's how you use it. Uh, But it still comes down to the individual, it comes down to yourself, it comes down to your body, it comes down to your stance, your breathing, your uh, ease of motion, mobility, range of motion. And then you put the tool in the hand, you learn the techniques of the tool. So uh, if I'm going to spend a lot of time, I would probably put more time with the kettlebell than the club, just because I think it offers more. But the good Mm -hmm. news is people don't actually have to choose. They can they can do both. This is true,
0: yeah. And it's that multilateral development that, um, at least the data has shown, that it, it goes a long way in terms of developing the long-term athlete as opposed to, um, I mean, if you start someone off with some early specialization, they can be really good at that one discipline at least for a while, but they need that, that base and that foundation and learning the different movement skills and, and, and learning how to position and move their body in response to, um, these different training modalities
1: yes yes it follows the evolution of martial arts it, MMA is so well illustrated and, and now everybody understands that it's not really the art it's not that jiu-jitsu is the best fighting art or boxing is or kickboxing it's really the the individual practitioner mm-hmm. and you'll see at different times different artists may dominate but it's not because of their art it's because of them and all the arts are good. And so to, to play the game nowadays, you have to be well-versed in several different arts, uh, you know, to even be able to play the game at a, at a high level. So, um, you know, and training, I think, follows a similar, uh, similar type of development where 10 years down the road, probably uh, the trainers will be well-versed in all of these tools, whereas now... Um, Many trainers dabble in a lot of things, but there's not so many that are expert. Um, that's my prediction.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think that's well put, um, and I I see that a lot of benefit to that, and and but I mean, from my perspective, if I say if I wanted to learn, you know, Olympic barbell lifting, for example. Um, I wouldn't want someone who just dabbles. I would want to go, you know, straight to the source, so to speak, and find someone agree who's competed with you. in it. But I think that will also depend on, you know, how far you want to take your development with that discipline. Do you wanna compete? Then maybe yeah, you should take advice and training from someone who has competed. But if you're just looking to learn the movement and get, you know, the physiological benefits of, of doing those types of movements or exercises, what have you, then, you know, you're probably fine with uh, just, you know, the average trainer who has a, a, a modest level of competency with those movements.
1: Yes, that's true. And um, it's risk-reward, like things in life. Um, there there comes points of diminishing return. And right now it's popular that, um, you know, middle Americans or average citizens in different, countries um i don't know that olympic lifting is necessarily something that everybody needs to learn since you brought up the example of olympic lifting i mean it's it's fantastic Mm -hmm. for what it does but what's the carryover going to be for the guy who's holding down an office job and you know Mm -hmm. for a few hours a week he's pretending to be a warrior and that's fine (laughs) and it's good to be fit you know it's good to be fit and it's good to be healthy but Risk reward, what do you have to invest in terms of time and energy and, and potential injuries and all the different factors, and what do you get? And when you say compete, what does that mean? Are you going to compete in the Olympics, or are you going to compete in a local gym? And that's fine, and, and competition can be a, a way of, of creating tangible goals, to have deadlines and have objectives and measures. And, and most of us need that versus you know self-starting, and hey, I'm just going to train for the uh, for the joy of training or for the need of training, not, not because I'm competing. Right. But at the end of the day, we have to be honest about like working out. It's not a sport, right? The best athletes mm-hmm. in the world that they don't work out because of the sport they work out because they have to keep their body tuned so they can play the sport. So I, yeah, I see right now, there's a lot of confusion in the world of fitness because it's like it, Olympic lifting is not comparable to kettlebell lifting in the sense that any farmer or simple person can stand in a corner on a three by three patch of floor and train their bodies with kettlebell. You can't say the same about Olympic lifting. You got to either spend a lot of money to get the equipment or you got to join the gym. And then you have, as you said, you have to have specialized knowledge from someone that actually knows what they're doing. Um, And then, you know, the programming, where are you getting your programming from? Because if you're doing like, you know, snatch with an Olympic barbell till failure probably a, a coach worth their salt would would not consider that very smart training right they're not just going to kill the person
0: yeah as soon as you start it going, on the internet yeah as soon as you start venturing off of that three rep um set five rep set it starts you know any any Olympic weightlifting coach as you say you know worth half their salt would look at that with a raised eyebrow and say, this isn't the kind of programming that's going to, that you might not benefit from in the long run.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And for example, I have a couple major league baseball guys that I, I run their training program. Not having these guys do Olympic weightlifting, you know, it's like, it's not a requirement to be the best athlete in the world. In fact, it, it could bring them in the opposite direction of what they want to do, which is to stay healthy and play, play the game. Right, not break records in the gym. So, well, um, and you know- I, I'm not anti Olympic lifting. I have a lot of respect for it for what it is, but it's actually a sport, you know? And so um, I, I, I gravitate more towards simple hand, hands on tools that you can use right here, right now. Yeah. And first and foremost, that's your breathing and your body. And then from there, you have simple mm-hmm. tools like kettlebells and clubs and and you know?
0: Well, you know, and I think you bring up a good point about the Olympic lifting being very much a sport and um, and being very specialized and and maybe not as forgiving as kettlebells. Because I mean, one thing that stuck with me that uh, that that some coaches have said is that Olympic, you know, the, the athlete doesn't find Olympic weightlifting. Olympic weightlifting finds the athlete because there are so That's many true. limitations true. that. Uh, you know, from individual to individual that are going to either that are, that are going to steer them towards or away from
1: being a good or great Olympic lifter. Yes. Yes, that's true. And so there's a lot of pretend, there's a lot of like make believe going on. And, And from my one point of view, it's not that I'm negative on it. I think it's just a transformation process that we're going through culturally. But, You know, 10 years, 20 years down the road, we'll be more mature, more intelligent, more patient and not feel the need to have to jump in and test drive every cool thing or new thing that comes along or or even have to focus on competition so much because, you know, social media and everything, it's like there's there's reality and then there's perceived reality. And personally, I'm more interested in reality than What people perceive me to be, for example, based on some social media profile or, you know, because so it's like a lot of the information and what in the area of fitness, it's still not being filtered very well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's out there. And so just because it's out there, does that necessarily mean you need to be doing it? And there's a, you know, so simple keeping things simple is really always a foolproof foolproof method i believe and i think training to
0: build skill and build strength rather than to train to test strength or or test skill is is more along the lines of uh maybe what you advise to to not just the average joe but
1: you know to to all your athletes yes i mean to i mean to me there's only a small segment of population if you want to be honest that actually need to have their bodies like like they they earn their living their living and their livelihood is based around physical performance but that's not most people like Mm -hmm. you know that's especially athletes and then it's also going to be certainly it's going to be uh service workers firemen and and police and it's going to be military you know but especially athletes and uh, and even like actors entertainers or people that use their body okay there that makes sense that you're gonna invest a, a much larger portion of your time and a much larger portion of investment in getting the best information and and really making that a centerpiece of your existence. but there's a lot of people that are making fitness the centerpiece of their existence that really have no reason to do that and it's very much ego driven the sense for acceptance or, You know, and so my message is really like fitness is one part of what we do and one part of who we are. But for Mm -hmm. me personally, whatever I've accomplished in my resume and it's, you know, fairly impressive, I would say from what I hear, at least in my (laughs) field, in in my field, but
0: I also hear you're
1: very humble. (laughs) Nothing's that's not really important because what's important is right here, right now. And I'm 45 Mm -hmm. years old and I don't have any illusions that I need to try to prove to anyone that I'm the best of this or the best of that, or I need to try to compete the best athletes in the world. You know who they are. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they're doing their thing. And so you don't have to make up new sports because you can't accept it. You're not the best, right? Like be the best at something else, be the best at you. And it's, it's not just about physical because it doesn't matter when I was, I could do this or, you know, I was the best at that. It's like, life goes on. We get older I don't care who you are even Bolt, even Jordan. They're not going to there's going to be some guy that's better and some guy that's faster, dude. So if your whole identity is built upon your physical prowess, hate to break it to you, but the sooner you understand that there's more to life than that, the the softer the landing's going to be when, when that, you know, because it's if you don't have that, then what what's left, right? If if everything's based upon how strong and fit then what happens when I can't use my body anymore? What happens when there's somebody stronger than me? Or what happens when there's someone more popular than me or someone more good looking? Mm-hmm. So for me, I see fitness and this whole thing as a vehicle really to help individuals strengthen themselves from the inside. And that leads to other things. And so there will come a point where you have enough fitness you know, and there will be other priorities in life, not necessarily I gotta to go to the gym or, you know, and so being healthy to me is much more important than being fit because by conventional measures, you could say it's this person's fit because they look fit or because they can run far, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily, they're not necessarily healthy. And a part of that is gonna be happiness. And if you're miserable, but you're in great shape, you know, and so for me, I see it as a much more holistic, Like, you know, but, but I've always had my health. I've always had the blessing of health and I've always had the blessing of being, you know, fit enough for what I need to do. So I have different priorities. I understand a lot of people, they don't have that knowledge. They might have a lot of something else. They may have a a lot of material goods and things, but maybe they don't have their health. Mm -hmm. So for me, there's no comparison. Health is like the most important thing and, and happiness and so I'm really, I come at it from a very different perspective. Like kettlebell, I can teach you all the stuff you need to know about kettlebells, right? Of course, or, or your body and breathing, how to stretch, how to move. These are techniques. And there's a lot of different people that can teach you these techniques because it's just information. But it's how do you apply those techniques into your life and over the course of your whole life, not just at a certain age, well, put hopefully that makes sense absolutely no i think
0: um I think the listeners will take a lot from that as well as myself um but you know what? let's uh let's let's move on a little bit and uh and i think so Steve, I think it's safe to say that you're not you know quote unquote competing anymore in in either
1: martial arts or kettlebell well no no, no like today right now, no. Um, but I could, mm-hmm. I could, and I might, and if I want to, I will. And so I'm, I'm always a few step, you know, a few steps away from game ready. Okay. Well, I, that... can, I can, I can be where I need to be within three months at any given moment because I never let myself, cause, cause I always keep myself healthy and I always keep myself. So it's just for me in life, there's other things that interest me. Mm-hmm. It's not about, um, proving anything you know I like I prove myself in my profession so that's more important to me than you know it's it's what my students think and if they are able to get good knowledge and good service that's my job it's not um well I think he have been to doing to, I think you've been so, doing a great job at that so far absolutely well I do my best and, and there's room to there's room to learn you know definitely most people get a lot out of it, there's always going to be probably on occasion, there'll be people that maybe, you know, not all personalities get along, right? There's always mm-hmm. going to be disagreements. That's just life. But the main thing is that you do more good than bad, you know, and you, and you, you try to give more than you, than you take. That's, that's how I, that's how I live at least. And so for me, it's really about the teaching and, and promoting And it hasn't hit that, it hasn't hit that critical mass yet. We're coming to that, you know, and it's what it's going to look like some years down the road, we can only maybe predict or guess. I have my ideas about that, but I think things will, you know, for me, it's really about bringing things out to the masses. It's not about trying to talk to the same kettlebell people over and over, like amongst ourselves, Mm um, Kettlebells is awesome. I love kettlebells, and you know, if people want to bring it into the sport, that's awesome. Kettlebell sports awesome, but all of these things—they all have upper limits. Like, you're not going to be Denisov. You're not going to be Anna Senko You know, you're not going to be. You're not going to compete for the world record, or even if it was going to be an Olympic sport, which right now it, it seems very far away for different reasons. But even if it were going to be an Olympic sport, it's like that's the that's the level. So, if you're going to take it mm-hmm. to that level, very few people are going to do that. And if you are, you have to understand everything that that means and the type of commitment and what's involved. And so, that's not really touching the 99.99. That's touching a, a very small fraction. And it's like you guys already know about kettlebells. So, you don't need to learn kettlebells from DVDs or seminars. It's just about doing reps by yourself in your courage corner, right? Because once you get <laughs> to a certain level, it's just how far are you going to take it? You have the knowledge. You you do the work. It doesn't. You can have a coach, but your coach can only tell you you have to do it. You still have to do it. So, I don't really. I see that more as a fad. It's very similar to the whole CrossFit um, opens and things where you know all these people. And so now there's thousands of athletes everywhere. Okay, keep it in perspective. You know, if you know, if you interact with the best athletes in the world, you're going to understand that that's not most people. So it's good to be fit. It's good to, you know, have goals. And if you're competing, you say compete. If it's competing like I'm trying to beat you, mm-hmm. I'm not really interested in that because I don't need to beat you because I just need to beat me. So it's like if you're competing in the sense of camaraderie and we're calling it competition and, yeah, I'm trying to beat that guy next to me, but I want to beat him because I did better than I myself. I don't want to beat him because he sucked and so mm-hmm. I beat him because he's socked and I'm better than him, That that that's not really a victory. I would rather get second place but do better than I did before, and him beat me, but for him to beat me, he had to do really good. So that's to me, that's more meaningful. It's not about winning first place because it's all relative. You're yeah. not going to win first place if you're racing against Bolt. Nor would you want to <laughs> first place if you're lifting against Denisov. So take it out of the pretend and let's bring it back to how you can really use it can you become more powerful as an individual and, and what that means to you and it's not just how heavy you can lift it's it's to be balanced in life and to be happy and to contribute positive uh, energy and, and creative things to the world mm-hmm. I, I really believe that that's what the strong people do that's what the leaders do is they lead and inspire people and help people to learn how to use these techniques to improve themselves. And when enough people can improve themselves, then we can start helping each other because if you're strong, you don't have to be as selfish. You know what I mean? It's weak people are have to be more selfish because they fear, they fear for their survival. But when you're strong, you don't fear anymore because there's Mm -hmm. nothing to fear. This is, this is how I see it. And that's really for me, the bigger message like kettlebells is a gateway it enables me to, to interact with people. It lays, enables me to break down barriers. We're all the same. Everybody is basically the same. Not, not the same like we're like in personality, but the same and just in a simple level, and, the same needs and the same desires. And mm-hmm. So it's a, un, it's a unifying factor. It's a unifying tool. But for me, it goes beyond the kettlebell. It's just about having a conversation and understanding and then practicing and learning. And that's, that's the process for me. Steve,
0: did you um, start the IKFF kettlebell sport competition to help bring people together and share their experiences
1: and their knowledge? Well, you know, it's all, it's all organic. Um, The reason that IKFF sport competitions came to existence is because, I mean, you also have to understand history and context and how things were and it's what's interesting about the world of kettlebells is that the evolutions have been very rapid in terms of you know if you look at a 15 year window from say 2000 to now 2015 the level of the the flow of information and and the different players and it's very very different and and in a relatively short period of time it's changed a lot right and literally if, if the Cold War formally ended in, what was it, 1991 or whenever the uh, Perestroika was, uh, I believe that was 91. Okay, so if that was sort of the ending of the Cold War, th- with the kettlebells, it didn't happen until about <laughs> 20 years after that. So, you know, it's only in the last five years that we could say that that the, the wall came down with regard to the information and these types of things, right? So... The point I'm trying to make is that um, with IKFF competitions, the reason it started was because there was a need for it. There was not um, reliable uh, organizations. There was not really, um, you know, if you go back, it started with NAKF, which is North American Kettlebell Federation. That was the first uh, group that was, uh, to conduct kettlebell meets and it was very much grassroots it wasn't complete information it was just a small group of people doing the best they could with, with the information they had uh, that evolved uh, 2005 myself and seven other americans went to russia uh, we participated in 2005 uh, world championships actually in moscow so that was a, a big awakening in terms of okay this is the state of <laughs> kettlebell sport and uh, the level and what's involved. And so then, you know, in, and in that time, the Western world and North America, you know, um, getting more and more information, understanding how they train and, and all these types of things. So, Mm -hmm. um, NAKF eventually folded and there was a couple different organizations. Fedorenko was really the first, uh, to formally promote kettlebell sport. So I I would say he's the equivalent for kettlebell sport. What, Pavel Satsilin is for just kettlebells mm-hmm. uh, in general, in terms of fitness, in the West, and right. You know, so there wasn't really a lot going on, and um, you know, IKFF we have uh, with, with Ken Blackburn. Uh, he has some very, very particular skill sets, and one of them being he runs incredible kettlebell meets, and so he took on that that leadership position. Um, and started doing IKFF meets, they quickly became very popular because they were far more organized and um, streamlined than, than any meets had been previous to that point. And so that's how IKFF got involved. And then we just stayed involved because of the people and the fact that there's interest in it and, and we're supporting. So, um, you know, that's kind of how it all came to happen. But at the same time, you know, if leaderships emerge and there's someone that, that is able to unify everything and brings it together, then IKFF will align, uh, align with those people. That's, you know, because it's not about IKFF, really. That's just my business. It's about uh, the information, um, you know. So and I'm not able to separate that. There's business interests and then there's the knowledge and the information and the process. And,
0: and what? Uh, so was kettlebell sport more about learning a new skill? for you rather than any particular interest in you know participating in the sport itself uh whether it whether whether it would be long term or short term.
1: Yeah well let's see today's the twenty three days I'm gonna be competing in a one arm long cycle. It's not a traditional event. Oh is this so, for the charity? Um yeah this is a charity event. So I was asked a few weeks ago if I would um you know be involved and if I would be uh you know, be home, be, be in Southern California. And so, so happened that I am going to be here. So I, uh, since Eric Doyle organized it and he asked me and I'd like Eric, so I agreed to do it. So, yeah. So, you know, so I, I'll, I may compete at different times and probably, uh, probably I'll do some more events before the end of the year, but it's just not my, uh, my priority. It's something I do on the side. Mm-hmm. With, with all the other things I have going on. So I'll, I'll always support the sport because I think at a grassroots level, it's very beneficial, but I don't have any interest really in the professional sport. And I don't have any interest in dealing with mafia or any type of people that are going to try to come and, and use this added arrogant attitude or, 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 you know, so it's like, I don't have to deal with anybody like that. We, I KFF, we can do our own thing and it's like people that want to play nice and, and we want to get along and have respect and equality, then those are the people that I KFF associate with. But it's like, if you want to have a real organization and you want to say, bring kettlebells to the Olympics, you can't use these, uh, you know, I don't really have the right word for it, but you can't use these archaic sort of methods of intimidation or that's not how you deal with people. And so, you know, Right now, with kettlebells, we don't really have that type of organization where there's the type of leadership that has the members interested. You know, because I K F F, we're for profit, we're not nonprofit, and there is really no nonprofit. There's individual organizations claiming to be nonprofit, but they're in fact aligned with for-profit organizations that are pulling the strings. So it's not truly a nonprofit. Um, you know, so. Um, for me, I'm not really interested in that aspect, in the, the hierarchy or the uh, politics. It's really about the people. People want to get together and lift. You know, if I, KFF, mm-hmm. can provide the, the framework for that, if we can provide the organization and we can provide the, the different things needed to make it happen, then it, it's a, really the grassroots. That's because that's really, I think, the benefit of it. Um, in the sport and the professionals, that's a different level. So, you know, I think that those, those professional athletes, um, they should, they should, you know, definitely continue to do what they're doing and that's the sport. It's a great sport, but you know, my message as a coach for people that want to learn kettlebells, maybe after a couple of years, if you, if you have the right inclination, then yes, you could probably follow that and and become a professional kettlebell lifter and compete and and try to compete on an international level and be relevant, you know. So that's definitely a worthwhile goal, but that's not the goal that most people need. (laughs) Most people need to be move and to be healthy and to be Mm pain-free. And, you know, it's not necessarily yourself or myself or even most of the listeners who probably are training with kettlebells more than likely have been working out in one form or another for a long time. They're not struggling with body weight. They're not necessarily struggling with self-esteem. They're not necessarily struggling to figure out, you know, how to put programs together. It's like you already know how to do that. So if we're just going to talk amongst ourselves, the, the people that stand to really gain more, they're not going to have access to it. So I'm really more interested in bringing it to people that really stand to benefit more. And um, that's everywhere you know but we have to have to so I'm, I'm for me that's so much more important than the kettlebell sport The kettlebell sports are, it's a great sport and you know it's like do you do you bring it to the community through the sport or do you just bring it to the community you know so it's it's a fine line like what does someone mean by sport if you're talking about competing on a platform or if you're just talking about the movements and the skills of the sport so i'm interested in the movements and the skills because I want to bring it to the communities. I want to bring it to, you know, and that's what I am doing, but I want to continue to do it and bring it on a larger scale. And, you know, um, cause I believe in it, you know, children, mm-hmm. especially teach people how to stand, teach them how to breathe, teach them how to, how to flex their hips and extend their hips and these fundamental movement patterns and kettlebells. You can pattern these basic movement patterns very effectively with resistance, in a neutral posture and so that's that's one of the unique features of kettlebells that you're not going to get with with barbells and and other types of tools and so you know in a bigger community level you don't see that most people they don't even know what kettlebells are and so that that's really what i see long term is um bringing it into schools and bringing it into community centers and uh, Mm -hmm. making it making it popular and common, like how the the elderly are known to practice Tai Chi in Hong Kong in the mornings, for example. You know, I want to see that there's people out swinging kettlebells around. And not because of kettlebells, it's just because I haven't come across anything better yet for, 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 you know, for what it offers. So if there's something better, let's do that. But right now I think kettlebells is as good or better than any other option just because it's, you know, it's time. It's, it's uh, efficient. You can get a lot done in a short amount of time, and it's not expensive, and so that's, that makes it much more accessible mm-hmm. to many more people.
0: I have a student. She's 13 years old, um, and she's struggled a little bit with weight and was never terribly interested in, in sports or any other activities or hobbies or anything like that. She started... Um, taking a uh, kettlebell um, like cross training ke- class that I was doing for a little while, and and it, it was apparent very early on that she had um, great potential um, for movement. Uh, she did have a bit of a gymnastics background, but she's she's not really interested in, in doing that anymore. But she really took the to kettlebells, and uh, I I took her to her first competition and. So got her exposed to that, and now it's she lives and breathes kettlebell sport. It's you know she says it will always come first. It's the only thing that she wants to do, and uh, and as a coach, I have to actually you know dial her back a little bit and say you know you need to take some days off from lifting kettlebells so you don't you know not that, not that I'm terribly uh, worried that she's gonna overtrain, but there's always that possibility, and and it's just it's you know. I need to help teach her some balance obviously. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What do you think, if you could give her some advice, what do you think the best thing that she could take away from her experience in training kettlebells and and competing kettlebells and and, and doing the competitions and and getting to meet these different people and just her own personal journey with overcoming obstacles and, and seeing her own personal growth? what would you say is the best thing that she could walk away from if she had to, you know, in five years, she had to put the kettlebells down and, and never lift them again?
1: I'm sure she would be able to, to answer that uh, herself. But if you're asking my opinion, um, simply it, it's a practice, it's a discipline. And so young people in particular, um, we need a, a practice, need a discipline. Uh, the modern culture, Western culture, we don't really have rights passage but rites of passage is a traditional uh cultural it's very significant in traditional cultures of rites of passage it signifies when a boy becomes a man or when a girl becomes a woman and there's particular traditions and practices and things and we don't really have that in the western culture and, and as a result not not that this is intended to be a sociological discussion but it's a part of it is you know we have a lot of youth going around that are not focused, uh, confused, and there's so much stimuli. Um, you know, there's no foundation. And so the kettlebell training and, and what, your, what your young student is, is learning, whether she is realizing it right now or not, is you're learning a practice and you're learning a discipline. And it's also an art form and a science because there's certain laws that must be obeyed. There's laws of gravity and there's... Um, You know, so many different, there's the understanding about how to breathe and synchronizing the breath and the body. And there's psychological factors in terms of staying calm and concentrating and controlling, uh, you know, controlling your different body processes. And Mm -hmm. this is what you're learning, to me, is much more important than the sport. The sport just gives you uh, goal lines to shoot for. It gives you tangible focal points, which is very important for goal setting but you could still make the same progress even if you weren't competing if you because the techniques the skills are the same whether you're competing or whether you're just training by yourself in your garage it's just uh, it's just that in most cases we need some type of stimulus to keep us on track otherwise we'll fall away from it and so but but the skill is really the important thing that's just getting the practice of it and of course the social factors of of going with other people and competing with other people but you know I don't know how long that's going to last it's not for me to say it's for her to say so Mm -hmm. you know how far do you take that do you take it to where you meet the world champions and you're like I want to be what they're doing I want to be able to beat or compete or lift with that person okay that's a possibility but you have to step into the next world because you probably don't know what that actually means right now and what it involves. And so, you know, how far are you going to take it? So again, it's not, there's people out there that specialize in developing kettlebell sport champions, you know, but the, the state of the art system is the Russian system you know, for that. And that sport there's, there's no question about it. So if you're going to follow that system, you know, that's, but, um, you know, again, I go back to what I was saying previously, for most people, they're probably not going to take it to that ultimate extreme, they, they just want to they're going to do it for a while and then, you know, when you're 45 like me, or when you're 55 or 60 or whatever you're going to, your priorities are going to change, so the skill the discipline, the practice and all the things that go with it, that is what's always going to stay with her you know, and then, then it's about How can you apply that in other areas of your life? That focus, can she apply that same level of focus when it comes time for an important interview or it comes time for something important that requires, you know, so all these things that we learn, we can apply it into other areas of our life because we need focus and we need discipline and we need self-control and we need to be able to regulate our breathing, especially when there's a lot of stress and and things like that. So these are the life skills Mm -hmm. that I'm focusing on with people more more than the kettlebell skills. Because the skills of the kettlebell, you have to teach to beginners. And then the, the novice, they have the skills now, they need to be polished. But then when someone gets to be advanced, they don't need to keep learning the skills. They already have the skills. They have to perfect the skills. If it's physical, that's athletics. But when you take those skills and you learn how to apply it, To other aspects then it's more than the sport then it becomes about the principles and you know that's why there's art and art and science also have principles Mm -hmm. and um these principles are universal when we understand them we can develop ways of applying it in other areas of our life that are important so um yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a little different. I'm coming from a different perspective because I don't run a gym. You know, if I if I'm running a gym, say here in San Diego, mm-hmm. and I'm doing regular classes, of course I would I would have a kettlebell team and we would do competitions because it's a way to keep everybody accountable. But I don't do it that way. I'm very much solo and I'm more of a hired gun. I do courses. I do seminars. <laughs> um, you know, and so then I'm bringing, in, we're only spending a day or a couple of days together. So I'm trying to leave a big impact with you in, in these days that we have. And then showing you a roadmap or a guide that you can follow to get to a certain level. You know, we have certain tests to establish, okay, here's a baseline level that you should be expected to master. Okay, and then, and then you know, so that's how I do it. So it's very different than... Say a trainer that is being a personal trainer has a gym using kettlebells, starting a kettlebell club, starting a kettlebell team, and so there's other people that do mm-hmm. that and they know a lot more about the best way to do that than I do, actually. You know, because that's not what I do. Right. So I'll go to a gym and train their staff, for example, mm-hmm. or go to a university and lecture to their sports science department on physiological, you know, applications, or or I'll work with an athlete because that's what I enjoy if I'm going to do personal training I'm going to work with someone more high level. Yeah, I tend to I tend to feel the same way.
0: And I think
1: they invest more
0: into it as well because I mean I imagine you care so much about your your students or your clients and and the process that you're going to put a fair bit of effort into helping them along with their journey that you want someone who feels kind of the same way.
1: Very much, very much. Yes.
0: Well, this brings me to my next question. I'm glad you brought up the point of a rite of passage. Um, at its inception, and I, I can't speak from experience because I don't, I never did the Russian kettlebell challenge, but the RKC seemed to be a rite of passage for a while, most nob- notably with the snatch test. Um, but since then, it's evolved into something a little bit more than that, uh, advising athletes to practice for success rather than to train to failure. Uh, and today, Pavel and his peers, such as like Dan John, Gray Cook, Brett Jones, et cetera, have established like a niche in the training world where strength is balanced with human movement skills. This would probably be most evident with the inclusion of the functional movement screen. Uh, and this is put in like a format that kind of blends old school strength with almost a clinical approach to human kinetics. Now in CrossFit, uh, it's, it's a bit different, right? Work capacity is king. Um But fundamental movement skills are also heavily emphasized, despite the clear lack of movement skills outside the sagittal plane and the emphasis on competition, which is very obvious, particularly with the CrossFit Games. Strongman and Highland Games training are competition-based and require proficiency in a variety of skills as well, but are largely power-dependent and are very much stagnant in terms of their evolution um you know they really haven't changed much in the last few years and the same could be said for powerlifting only lifting and even gear boy um because they have a simpler movement template but again they haven't really changed in the last few decades so my question is because you do these workshops and these seminars where does the ikff fit into this landscape of trainer education um you know because we have the competition stuff and we have uh you know, the, the clinical approach to human movement skills and, and stuff like that. Where does the IKFF fit?
1: Um, IKFF is not about a product. Uh, IKFF is not about um, what I sell, what we sell is information and experience and um, a lot of experience, a lot of uh, practical experience. And um, it's not Our focus isn't on marketing. We don't do a lot of, like, like just based on what you just told me. Um, You started with RKC, then you talked about CrossFit, and you talked about strongman and powerlifting and Olympic lifting. And so Mm -hmm. you said something about rites of passage, and I want to clarify just a distinction. Um, Rites of passage, when I was talking about rites of passage, I'm talking about a historical, cultural uh, phenomenon when you refer to rights of passage, you're talking about a marketing, a program that Pavel marketed and called it the rights of passage. So it's a very creative use of marketing term, but that's not the type of rights of passage. I'm, I'm not talking about a specific workout that I name rights of passage. I'm talking about a fundamental transformation that exists in traditional culture that does mm-hmm. not tr- exist in modern culture to the same degree. So it's not as simple
0: um, as just, you know, a physical test.
1: Yes. And you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the niche and, and Gray Cook and functional movement screen. And so there's nothing niche about that. There's nothing original about that. What I would say that um, Gray Cook happens to be a, a guy that's a leader in his field in terms of being one of the first uh, physical therapists to see the fundamental flaws in the in the sports conditioning model with, with lack of emphasis on movement and movement assessment. And so he can't put together a very simple way of doing that for the layman, for the inexperienced person that needs a template or needs a recipe to follow because they don't know how to cook the meal themselves. So they need a recipe. So from that point of view, yes, it's very useful, but to say that it's a a niche, no, because, you know, I come from a very rich tradition of Chinese martial arts and in our level of understanding of, of movement sophistication, and it's, it's probably very far beyond a lot of the different package programs that we have in fitness. But um, what it's about is it's about you, it's about me. So nothing can take the place, like if you have a teacher or you have a coach, nothing can take the place for in-person, hands-on, person-to-person communication where you can ask questions and they can guide you and show you and teach you. But the ultimate goal is that that person now understands it themselves and they can do it themselves. That's the ultimate goal. So it's not about me as a brand saying, You need to be a customer for the rest of your life. It's about me as a teacher saying, you know, this is what I can do. This is what I know. Here's what I can show you. Mm -hmm. And now it's about the communication. So can you understand and can you take it and can you own it? Can you make it yours? So, um, you know, there's many creative marketing things out there that have taken concepts that have been around and put it together in a a different packet. So, you know, that's not what, what um, I sell with IKFF is what I'm doing is I'm reaching out across the world, Um, not to one market, to everybody, to all people, all ages, um, to children, to seniors, to healthy people, to, to, to world-class athletes, to CrossFit people because I'm not trying to separate myself from any, I want to be involved with everybody. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, if you need, what I can show you. you know, if you don't need what I can show you, then then there's no reason. Okay, so, um, but, you know, on a basic level, it's, you know, if you look at the history again, um, with, say, the RKC and and, and and CrossFit, the whole evolution of when it started and just at the, the nascent period of really of internet and internet marketing and, you know, if you talk about RKC, of course, Pavel, but you have to also talk about John Duquesne. And you know because he was very much every bit as important to RKC as, as Pavel. Pavel was the face, and John McCain was was the brains in that sense. But you know John McCain was one of the first internet marketers for fitness. You know along with Matt, Matt Fury and a few other people. And so you know there's marketing and there's getting things out there and and putting out information. But you know I don't really buy it if people are going to claim that they were the pioneers of things that have been around for you know this this industry is only like 15 years old with, with kettlebells and so mm-hmm. you know, Very it's been better, a, yeah. yeah it's movement it's about movement and great cook or nobody else you know invented that um, who can move well that's a really a better question who can move well and even more important is who can move well and teach you how to move well and you know, so that's really where IKFF comes in is we're doing it, we're out there in front. I don't it doesn't matter who you are or what you know, face to face, person to person, we have our time. This is what I'm gonna teach you. And, and you know, and, and you you're gonna be able to figure out, you know, I can take probably almost any athlete in the world and with their stance and I'm gonna be able to tell you know, what can I show this guy right now because of the way some and a lot of people are surprised. You can take some of the best athletes. When I say best athletes, I'm talking about the, the athletes that are the household names. You can take a guy, not necessarily LeBron James or any athlete in particular, but you take a high class athlete that's Major League Baseball or NFL or NBA or one of the big time sports, mm-hmm. hockey. You know, um, there's certain fundamental movement patterns that they're not going to do well. And and the common citizen would think, oh, these guys are going to be good at everything. But when you really start breaking it down, they have success in their sport in spite of certain movement restrictions. And, you know, so the point is that with IKFF, it's communicating information to everybody. Uh, What information? It's a lot of the same information. Like We use kettlebells. We use body weight. We use breathing. Okay, the, the the Chinese uh, in- integration of qigong and meditation. This has always been a part of what we do in IKFF, and um, you know, but it's it's about your body, it's about your space, it's about your presence of mind, it's about your breathing, and you know, kettlebell is is a very excellent tool for being able to teach these concepts in real terms because there's that resistance, you get that feedback. So if you're not holding your body right, you're gonna You're going to be pulled out of your base. You're going to be, your center of mass is going to be, uh, disturbed. And so you have to learn, you have to find it real quick. And so we use that as a foundation. Now from there, you can start adding more complex moving, movement patterns. And, um, so I don't actually compare myself to any, any, um, any, anybody, you know, I have respect for, Mm -hmm. for everybody as far as what they contribute, but honestly, anyone that's saying that they are a pioneer of this or uh, I'm pretty skeptical about that because (laughs) I think the pioneers were hunter and gatherer in in, ancestors and even before them.
0: Your son's a very impressive kettlebell juggler. Did he learn his moves from his dad?
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. He actually picked them up very quickly. Um, You know, I I put up some videos. Uh, It's been a few months, but um, yeah, you know, he learns very quickly, so and also I'm an experienced teacher, so I, I can get yeah. to the point. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, so definitely um, he has a, a good, a good, uh, you know, athletic base. Um, but, but what it's sports not something... does he play, or does he play oh, any sports? His main, his main sport actually now is skateboarding, which I'm really happy. Oh, about. right on. He's like, yeah, he's taken to that. You know, probably the last six months, and he's actually learning really fast. Um, uh, he's he's been playing american football for a few years um but you know um it's all good but i i would i wouldn't have a problem with him just to not play that anymore it's like i leave it up to him but um you know long term i don't think he's gonna want to play american football for his whole life so right um baseball plays baseball but his main sport right now is um you know skateboarding actually
0: you know that's that's interesting because i feel like at any given time, I could step into, you know, your average sport, you know, step into a baseball game or a soccer game or a football game. I highly doubt that I could hold my own if I hopped onto a skateboard. And Me neither.
1: Me either. <laughs> it's, yeah.
0: It's, yeah, it it, it it totally boggles my mind, the skills of, uh, of skateboarders. And I mean, the, it's and actually the body a viable awareness. sport.
1: Yeah, it is. It is a very high level and it's a viable sport. When I was a kid, skateboarding was not a sport. <laughs> it was just, you know, you, you just move around town with a skateboard. But now it, there's actually a viable sport, which is cool, um, so kids can pursue that if it's something they, they love. and mm-hmm. um, Definitely there's a high risk as, as you become advanced, but I would say American football has a much higher risk. So as a father, just purely on the you know parental level, if you were to ask me if he was going to be great in some sport, I would rather he be great at skateboarding than to be great at football because football is 100% injury ratio
0: (laughs) well it's it's a collision sport right yeah yes yeah yeah yeah. um you know we're just about out of time but steve i'd like to ask you one last question there was not too long ago um a picture surfaced on your facebook of a lion with with a kettlebell in its mouth can you tell us about that
1: say again it was a picture on my facebook with with you said orion a, a lion with a kettlebell. Oh, a lion, a lion. Yeah. Well, actually what happened is, um, that was about three years ago. I went down to South Africa, which I, uh, usually go every, you know, 18 months to two years, uh, sometimes more often, but, um, it's one of my favorite places to go. Um, got a great IKFF program there, um, run by my friend Trent, Trent and Megan. And so, um, always when I go to South Africa, mix, some um some pleasure with business just because i don't know if you've been there but it's it's really one of the most amazing countries in the world and there's there's so much to see so um when i'm doing courses there always leave at least a few days to you know to do something look around and so at that particular time uh, i was going for a walk with lions uh there's a particular lion park and those lions were they didn't eat people uh, (laughs) um Which was cool. So we good, were good with you. Yeah, so we were able to interact. And then we asked the keepers if, uh, you know, we had a kettlebell in our Jeep. So we asked the keeper keep if we could just bring it out and maybe take a few pictures. So the lion right away um, took to it, decided it was his kettlebell. It was a 16-kilogram. Um, took to it <laughs> and was at, using it as a toy. Was, was chewing on <laughs> it and carrying it around and, and patting it and then um, keeping it away from the lady lions. He had a, a small harem. I was trying to get his attention, but he wasn't giving them any any attention at all. And he was just focused on that new toy. And, you know, so it's a difficult situation because we ultimately we wanted that kettlebell back. But we didn't feel, <laughs> feel that comfortable, like commanding the lion. So anyway, at, at that point, we started walking towards it and he didn't, it wasn't ready to give it up. So he picked it up and walked away with it, with carrying it by the handle in his mouth. So just at that moment, I was able to whip out my phone really quick and just, catch the, the snap and so that was that facebook picture so yeah it really happened um there's some others i think it was that same trip uh lifting in, in the indian ocean but i think 15 20 meters under um, that's awesome yeah so it was cool it was always fun and uh we didn't get any with the great white shark hadn't figured out how to how to hook a kettlebell to them yet but once we figure <laughs> that out that'll be in the next photo album so
0: <laughs> i'm looking forward to it yeah. i
1: love sharks <laughs> <laughs> It's like if you, you know, it's like you can set a world record, right? If you do something no one's ever done, that's technically a world record. So yeah, there's a lot of those coming up these days, eh? Exactly, exactly. So it's kind of a way to make fun of that, also, in a tongue-in-cheek way. It's like you know, we're the first person ever to teach a lion how to do kettlebells. How to
0: do kettlebells, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what, Steve? Thank you so much. I appreciate you sharing your time uh, with me and the listeners.
1: Me too. Thank you very much for listening we made Any, it
0: anytime you know i've i've been a big fan for a while i've followed uh, your work and i really appreciate the time that you take to help bring information to the masses whether it's through your books or your courses your workshops um anything like that i think it's it's all great and i think you uh you do a great job at bringing information to uh, to everybody oh thank you very was.
1: much thank you it's that's very meaningful to uh to to get that feedback i uh, we'll, we'll continue to do my best, for sure.
0: <laughs> is there anything you want to plug while we're at it?
1: Um, well, something really interesting that folks would, would definitely want to look into, um, we're looking at probably mid, mid-August, mid to late August. This will be launched. It's uh, kettlebell.university. Kettlebells.universe, or kettlebell.university, that's the, that's the domain. So kettlebell.university is going to be a very extensive uh, online portal. Um, called Steve Cotter's Kettlebell University. And that's going to be real state-of-the-art information as well as uh, technology, uh, interactive. And um, there should be something for everyone there. So um, keep an eye, you know, just keep an eye on that, uh, kettlebells.university.
0: Excellent. Kettlebells.university. that's very exciting and that's something I've also noticed about you is you're always on the leading edge there of technology and uh, you even have an app
1: as well um, yeah I, I do have an app yeah yeah that's uh, it's been about I guess a year and a half um, that, that that's been on the market so that's that's uh, definitely a good good application that um, you know makes it easy for people to just refer to some exercises really quick or work out ideas. Mm-hmm. It's a
0: great reference. Steve, again, thank you so much. And um, you, good Solomon. luck with, uh, with all your future endeavors. And uh, I look forward to uh, Kettlebell University and, and everything else that you that you have coming out.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much, Solomon. I appreciate it. And uh, have a great day. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Steve. Take care. You too.